Democrats nearly sweep the Philadelphia suburbs. Inside Story starts right now. Hello and good morning, everyone. I'm Matt O'Donnell. It is Sunday, November 11th. It's time for Inside Story. You know, the post-election show, usually the insiders fight over who gets to be on it. These are the people who won the cage match. <laughs> Let's introduce them. Donna Gentile of Donna Nonprofit Executive. Good morning, Donna. Brian Tierney, Marketing Executive. Oh, yeah, Hello, Brian. Nimix, Communications Executive. Oh, yes. Shadow Boxing. And Sam Katz, Filmmaker. He is watching me. All right, the blue wave, and some people say there was no blue wave, but a blue wave of some sort hit the Philadelphia suburbs. The Democrats now hold all but one of the congressional seats around Philadelphia and southeastern Pennsylvania. A record four women, you're looking at them right there, will become part of the state's congressional delegation. The most they ever had at one point was two. Three of the women flipped seats that were once Republican. Let's talk about how the women did this and how the Republicans lost the Philadelphia suburbs. It's easy to, the, the, women, the women made a compelling case individually in each, of those, in each of those districts. They were certainly part of a much larger wave. Yes, there was a wave. I mean, some people were expecting a tsunami. Other people were afraid that it was going to break offshore. It didn't break offshore. It rolled these women in. And I think what was important about their candidacies was that they paid attention to local issues in addition to being part of the national conversation. So they are these fabulous four women. I am so relieved as a Pennsylvania voter and a Pennsylvania woman that we finally have women in our congressional de delegation and that we're no longer a national embarrassment. So. That's just great news. So Brian, so Delaware County right. used to be solid Republican. Chester County, <laughs> unquestioned Republican for so many years. How did these seats flip? Um, it's an infection that's coming from the city. I don't, uh, but no, the, uh, all, the, all, the Brian, really? all the Democrats are moving okay. to the suburbs. It's, it's changing the life of things. I mean, yeah. in a way, you're, you're, you're right. It, it is right. It's changing I mean, demographics. Lower Murray and all these other townships and things like this have become much more uh, bipartisan. The women who won, too, were, tr were, were great. Like, um, uh, the one who was the, uh, the fighter pilot, Houlihan. Chris Houlihan. Chris Houlihan. Ryan Costello. So, so, so there's one that where you have, you know, um, a, a Democratic woman, but who's a veteran and a pilot. So they were really smart about who won. They weren't super liberal type Democrats. They were people who appealed to the middle, which really is where the Republican voters are out there as well. Um, and they defined the issues earlier, and they raised a ton of money, too. Yeah. Can we also speak about something else? Yes, we're excited at four women. But then let's look at the electorate. Women still control the, the electorate when you really break it down by numbers. This was an election where women uh, finally start to reclaim or actually claim their power as opposed to relegate themselves and say, oh, well, it's not about me. I mean, when you look at representation, we have four women in a delegation. That's great. It's still not 50%. So we're still not at equity, not in the congressional delegation, not in our Harrisburg delegation. So yes, these were powerful steps forward. What was most exciting is that this was an election across the board where we're actually starting to see more of a reflection of the population. Crazy. Yes, we have veterans. We have entrepreneurs. We have mothers. We have working women. This is an exciting time, but let's peel it back because we've had the year of the woman. If you guys remember, 92. Right. It took 25 years after the the year of the woman or so until we had what a speaker of the house that was a female in the u.s house so when we think about these things 
we can look at it as like, oh yes, and then taper off. And that's what traditionally has happened. What did you see after the uh, election well, on Tuesday, I think Sam? one thing that's missing from the conversation is reapportionment. Uh, these, that these legislative districts for the House are not going to be the same legislative districts in 2022 because they will be reapportioned. Mm -hmm. The Supreme Court of Pennsylvania did something rather remarkable. They made the congressional districts virtually coterminous with the counties. So Bucks, Chester, Montgomery, and Delaware each have their own congresspersons, and they, f they fielded, the Democrats fielded, formidable, well-financed candidates who avoided making President Trump the sole issue. The most interesting race to me, aside from the, the, the Senate races, the state Senate districts were not reapportioned. They are the same Senate, state Senate districts we had. A Democrat from Swarthmore beat a Republican from Springfield Township in Delaware County for the state Senate seat. A Democrat from Swarthmore. This is the most Republican township in America. The Democrat, the Republicans in Del Delaware County were formidable. And they lost an incumbent seat in the state Senate to a liberal from Swarthmore. That says something really We're, we're going to talk more about Pennsylvania. Uh, I want to jump into New Jersey real quick. Senator Bob Menendez, he overcame a federal corruption trial where it was declared a mistrial. There was a smear campaign going on. A lot of jittery nerves among Democrats. Should we have put him up as the incumbent to run for re-election? He won. Republican Bob Hugan, who was once an avid Trump supporter, who distanced himself from yep. Trump during the campaign, just couldn't basically overcome the state's huge Democratic advantage. He lost to Menendez, wasn't even close, 53 to 44 percent. Will a Republican ever get elected to the well, Senate in New Jersey? there have been Republicans who have gotten elected statewide in the state Christy of New Jersey, you know, and, and, and others as, as, as well. But the fact of the matter is, is it is a unique state in terms of, of the way it goes. Hugan never resonated. His, his, and when he did resonate, it was just this wealthy pharma exec, which is not the most popular thing when people are saying, I like health care reform and I don't want you to take benefits away from me. So you've got a guy who never resonated. It's shocking, though, because Menendez... There's a taint. I mean, literally, the newspapers were saying they endorsed him, but hold, we're holding our nose. I mean, think time, about that. Yes. I mean, it's, it's unprecedented. Well, in, interestingly, it's now the most expensive Senate rate that's been Senate race that's been run in New Jersey. $127 million, outdistancing the Corazine races, mm -hmm. which which ran at those at, at I think around $90 million. So so boatloads of dough. Boatloads of dough got spent on this race. Um, Hugan, I, I agree with Brian. He, he never resonated. I thought he was a poor choice of a candidate. I think having him be a pharma exec who was easily targeted because of the practices of his of his company. Um, it, you know, it's the company that was denying cancer treatments to patients just based on the amount of money, and the and the insurance companies would not cover that kind of of uh, financial demand. So so he was problematic from day one. I think I think the party was enthused because he could be a self-funder. So it drove down the level of demand from the party to uh, to undergird his candidacy. You, I, it was just a flawed choice. You want to wrap this up, Sam, on Hugan Menendez? You're happy? <laughs> Everything is settled? I'm not happy. Anyway. Hey, let's go back to Pennsylvania. Tom Wolf, Bob Casey, and it was a cinch for them. He both easily won re-election. Pennsylvania was a red state in 2016, went for Trump. What does this mean for Trumpism in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Sam? Pennsylvania wasn't a red state. Let's, let's just be really okay, clear. Okay, well, it went, it went for Trump. It went for Trump, but then when we think about it and when we really examine those numbers, a lot of suburbanites that were distrustful of Hillary Clinton said, well, you know what, we're going to take a chance on Trump. They came home after, you know, they said, okay, two years of this, not so much. When we looked at before, I mean, <laughs> Tom Wolf won before. 
I don't think there were too many people who had doubts that he would win again. I mean, anytime the race was called by this station, four minutes after the polls closed, it was pretty evident that it was a wrap. Same thing with Casey. So at the end of the day, if it were really true Trumpism, then Barletta would have come up a lot more. The fact is, it was distasteful politics that people did not like. Barletta tied himself to uh, the president who, <laughs> what can we say, is acting like a spoiled brat at some times and really ugly when it came to certain key issues. Mothers did not like that. Mothers remembered those children being snatched from their mothers at the border. They remembered so many of those issues and images. They didn't like it and they said, you know what? No, I'm not going that way. Let's get Sam's interpretation. If, if you look back at the presidential election of 2016, Donald Trump won because he, he, he won in Pennsylvania by 44,000 votes. He won in Michigan by 10,000 votes, and he won in Wisconsin by 22,000 votes. In Pennsylvania, Tom Wolf won this time by 872,000 votes. Gretchen Whitmer won for governor in Michigan by 336,000 votes. And Scott Walker, the darling of the Republican Party, lost by 30,000 votes. If those three governors, Democratic governors, focus on their organizational requirements for 2020 and their party, Donald Trump's electoral college victory is in serious jeopardy. And it starts in Pennsylvania. In Luzerne County, which uh, voted for Obama by 5,000 votes in 2012, and for Trump by 23,000 votes in 2016, gave Tom Wolf a 5,000 vote plurality. So how did you know all that? <laughs> that was a lot of numbers. I, I wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> I looked it up. Was, it was like that was impressive. It was 681,000. Anyway, <laughs> I don't want to correct you. But anyway, but, but the fact of the matter is Pennsylvania, if you had to define Pennsylvania, it is a Tom Ridge Republican who gets elected. I mean, Trump just right. won. He ran against Hillary Clinton, who was a particularly weak candidate. The state is, and when you look at, uh, I predict Barletta goes down to Washington and serves in the Trump administration, probably in the cabinet. Scott Wagner, though, never really, he's a guy who ran against the Republican establishment, got elected, uh, you know, as, as a write-in candidate. As soon as he got in there, tried to, you know, roughhouse the entire state Senate. There are no tears being shed right now. And as Tom Wolf has been successful, it's been as he's moved to the middle, as he's become less extreme. So he'll go for legacy now. He'll stay in the middle. The Republicans who control the House and Senate will stay in the middle. We might get some stuff done. To the credit of the Wolf campaign, they had great ads. The commercials were terrific, made a compelling case for what, he, what he's done, what he cares about. And on the, on the other end of the spectrum, you had Scott Wagner, who's like threatening to stomp on his face with golf spikes. Yeah. The best thing that this governor had going for him was that his opponent was that guy. And he was able to run out the <laughs> clock. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, talk quickly about the state legislature. Less of a majority. It's not veto-proof anymore. Mm -hmm. But it's more conservative Republican because some of the moderate Republicans in the legislature lost. So what does that mean for Tom Wolf in his next term? I think that generally speaking, one of the outcomes of this election, including in Pennsylvania, is the consolidation of the conservative base. So it happened in those districts that were maybe at one time sort of slightly right, but now hard right. Uh, in Indiana, in North Dakota, in Missouri, those are states now that will be very difficult places for Democrats to win. But those are not states that are changing the electoral college voting map by virtue of going Republican in this election. So there's now, I think there were five senators who lost so that there is no longer a Senate, uh, a veto-proof Senate. I think this, the House is now up to the mid-90s for Democrats. Yeah. The big issue is reapportionment, and that will be re-established re in the elections of 2020. 
And I think we're going to see a much more balanced legislature after that, given the fact that Donald Trump will actually be on the ballot. You see that John Fetterman, lieutenant governor-elect, he, he doesn't want to live in the <laughs> lieutenant governor's mansion. And Tom Wolf already spent the last four years living at home yeah, and traveling. Why doesn't anyone want to live in Harrisburg? I would live in either one of them. I've been to both of them. They're very <laughs> lovely homes. I particularly like the lieutenant governor's house because it's the old governor's house and it's on hundreds and hundreds of acres. Yeah, in, uh, and stuff like Fort Indian Town Gap. And they have horse stables. You know what? It's a stunt, really, is what it is. And when you look at Fetterman, his... Uh, I'm, the, part of it's sincere, but part of it is a cartoon, right? I mean, you know, with the whole the way oh, he approaches himself God. and everything else and the whole thing. I think it's it's a, a, I it's think he's standing right behind you, by I the think way. He's, <laughs> <laughs> I think he's one of the most authentic Democrats that we have in Pennsylvania. People are people gravitate toward him. And one of the things that was interesting, when Hillary was, was running, Rendell pushed aggressively for her to travel around the state with Fetterman. Mm -hmm. It was a big mistake that she didn't do as that. As a bodyguard? Or <laughs> oh, as a kind of no, a no, as a, as a as a person to lend credibility to the concept of authenticity, I do think which there never was got there. A silver lining in this in the candidate pool for Republicans, and that was Jeff Bartos, who managed to go through the campaign as a lieutenant governor candidate. I thought he held his, held held his own against Fetterman in the debate. I think he conducted himself with civility, and he comes from a part of the state where there are resources and potential votes. And I wouldn't be surprised. Twenty twenty two. He governor's a race he has a future he does yeah. have yeah. a future i he, think he's a really you, impressive guy as i happen to think fetterman is but you know what would well. be really interesting since we have these empty mansions why not do an airbnb and just bring in some more money for <laughs> yeah. the conference? Could be. you I'm know thinking. what uh, fetterman said why he wanted to have like a swimming pool open Make for people money. to go swimming there is so a pool how cool is that yeah uh andy kim let's talk about this he claimed victory in his bid to unseat republican congressman tom MacArthur in the third congressional district in new jersey MacArthur's not ready to concede he thinks that you still need to count all the mail-in ballots provisional ballots. MacArthur, town hall meeting about a year ago. It was a marathon all about health care and his amendment to get the Republican health care passed. Was that what happened? That was the death knell for anything for it to be this close. The interesting thing is, when you look at this election cycle, how many Republicans said, oh, no, we love health care. We love to make sure that everyone has great health care. It's like, okay, so what happened to all those repeal votes? What happened to all this, let's get rid of the quote-unquote Obamacare Affordable Care Act? That was a driving issue across the country, New Jersey included. And also, I think it's really important to remember, Tom MacArthur turned his back on the Tuesday group that he co-chaired mm -hmm. that with Charlie Dent. That, those were moderate Republicans. He swung over in Trump's direction, mm -hmm. and he helped Trump punish people in New Jersey by eliminating taxes that they, uh, eliminating tax deductions that they had become accustomed to. He was headed on a collision course, and I think he underestimated Andy Kim. We'll see what the final count is, but of all the congressional elections in our region, I was really hoping that he would be a loser. The only, uh, basically, federal level incumbent who could potentially lose a seat in yeah. our area. Yeah, and it's interesting. Again, we talk about this area. It's the t in both states. It's the Tom Ridge Republican yes. strength. Yes. So yes. MacArthur goes strong to the right with Trump, whereas Brian uh, Fitzpatrick has ads, uh, campaign lawn signs saying the most independent Republican. We're going to talk about that when we come right back. CBC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. They all kept going through the break, too. <laughs> this is a great show going here. So let's talk about Delaware real quick. Senator Tom Carper. Remember he had a moderate scare during the primary, a further left challenger during his primary run, Kerry Harris, 
She aligned herself with New York's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, was sort of like the, the face of the, the leftist part of the Democratic Party. The question I have here is, with the victory with the House, could Democrats go too far left or have too many candidates from that side? I think the Democrats would be wise to take in the lessons from the Tea Party and what happened with the Republican Party and really stop and think, do we want to cannibalize ourselves and dwindle ourselves to this type of party? There are some good ideas. Great energy is coming from the quote-unquote progressive left. I personally hate all those terms because at the end of the day, you want strong policies that work for real people. That's what everyone wants. And you have to find compromise. If we continue to ossify ourselves into these these corners where oh if you talk with Donald if I talk to Brian then you're out of here and that we cannot continue so that moving too far one way or the other you have to focus on the policies that will appeal to the American people that you were elected to represent. But some people see Tom Carper running he gets his fourth term but he's like the old school Democrat mm -hmm. and he's boring and he's old and you know I want someone like flashy and new as like some crazy ideas here and there but you know, as a party with the Democrats may not be such a great road to travel on. Delaware is not that kind of a state. I mean, I wish we had Jan here to consult because he actually ran in Delaware and he has some very sure. defined ideas about, uh, about what the electorate of Delaware looks like. It's, it's, it's much more tamped down. So I, I think generally the electorate was not gonna be as receptive uh, it could change, but it, I think that's where it is I, right now. I used now. to work for Pete DuPont. One of the most amazing things, again, a Tom Ridge-type Republican, sure. and one of the most amazing things about, about that state is a month after the election, they have the burying the hatchet oh, ceremony. Yes. You think of that. And everyone gets Every, together. Yeah. Yes. You know, no matter what house, no, no, I'm sorry, whatever party, everybody gets together to kind of heal. <laughs> that's, that defines Delaware. Yeah, we could use one and of those nationally, American I guess. Politics. We've gotten so far away from all of that. Again, it has to be what's the best idea. The ideology is what's destroying us. We have to get back to to the ideas, not the cheating, not the win at any cost. Get back to the ideas and get back to governing. The Republicans had a firewall in Bucks County. We'll talk about this. You mentioned this, Brian. Brian Fitzpatrick, he is the only Republican congressman in the Philadelphia area. Uh, he held off a challenge from Democrat Scott Wallace, and Fitzpatrick did it with not using the typical GOP playbook. He did not embrace President Trump, played up his history as a moderate who does seek compromise. Um, would the GOP still have a voice in the suburbs if more candidates did that? I think we touched on that, but Sam, maybe expand a little here. I think that there's a really great lesson from all these races. Uh, you need great candidates. That's the number one thing. And in, in, in my mind, with notwithstanding his background in philanthropy, Scott Wallace was not a great candidate. And uh, Brian is a, a good candidate. And that was a winnable district as by virtue of a 2% margin of success. Uh, but you have to put up somebody who is really going to be able to carry the torch. And in each one of those races where Democrats won in close elections, they had the better candidate. And they almost did in, in York, York County, mm -hmm. which Trump won by 21 percent mm -hmm. and Scott Perry won by two. So I think I think Brian could have been beaten, but not by the kind of campaign or candidate that he You faced. saw what Governor Rendell said about Rachel Reddick, who lost the primary to right. Scott Wallace. Now, she had, and Brian, you mentioned this, she had a story to tell, right. not to say that Wallace didn't, but she's a Navy veteran, a uh, woman, a mom, you know, wants to go to Washington. And Rendell says if she ran, he thinks if it's I, I Patrick would have lost I think the her. governor, I think Governor Rendell was right about that. I think she was a better candidate. I wish that Scott Wallace had taken the $5 million that he had put into his campaign and made, set up a pact to fund people like her 
to try to retake the, the Democratic majority. I appreciate his philanthropy. I appreciate the fact that he's got a very substantial political history. You know, his great grand, his grandfather was Henry Wallace, who served in uh, with uh, Roosevelt. with Roosevelt and, and then Vice Truman. Right. He was Secretary of Agriculture. They made their money in the agriculture mm -hmm. research business. He, so he's, I think he's got a very substantial and in interesting history, but it never translated into a winnable candidacy. Right. You know, and again, the kind of Republicans who won Fitzpatrick's yard sign saying the most independent Republican. That's what people appeal. They're Republican. They're concerned. They think Democrats just want to tax and spend, but they don't want somebody who they More think a is a Charlie yeah. Dent Republican. Yeah, exactly. It goes yeah. back to what we were talking about earlier in the Jersey race. And again, here's an example in Pennsylvania. The parties have to decide the candidates, not so much the money. And when the money drives that, then sometimes you don't always get the best candidates for that particular race. And that goes back to the party leadership. Speaking about money, how about how about the the TV money as a newspaper person? <laughs> I kept watching one ad after another. Uh, you yeah. see the Democratic Party now having to th make some big decisions in Washington about what they're going to do. Yeah, that was my question. What do you think the Democratic-led House's first priority is going to be? If you look at Arizona and Texas and you say, these are two states that naturally go Republican, and if we can create competitive races, which Beto did, and... Um, uh, the candidate for the U.S. Senate did and may be win winning at the moment. Mm -hmm. And even if we can't win in 2020, we can force the Republicans to defend. But what the way they're going to have to do that is they're going to have to address the issue of immigration. They don't have to address it the way Trump addresses it, but they can't ignore it. They cannot be allowed to be positioned as the party of open borders. Inside Stories of the Week are coming up. You guys ready? Yeah. After the break. Sure. CBC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Inside Stories of the Week, we start with Donna. So last weekend at Thomas Jefferson University, we held our annual hackathon. We had 300 people plus that uh, formed teams around solving healthcare problems, represented among those 300, 21 states, 20 countries. Immigrate, immigrants have added so dramatically to the growth of this country. We need to keep that mind in, in mind politically going forward. Thanks, Donna. Brian? Bill Rouse has been gone 15 years. His legacy we see it every day from Liberty Place, Liberty Place to the Kimmel Center to the Convention Center, which were things that he fixed. Uh, the first symposium in his honor is going to be taking place Monday the 19th. It's going to be Joe Neubauer, Dan Hilferty, Bill Hankowski. Feather Houston and John Fry talking about what we can learn from him. They've got this so-so moderator named Brian Tierney, <laughs> and, uh, but it's at the E. Kimmel Center at 3.30. He'll do a good job. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. We've been focusing a lot in this election cycle on all types of election issues, primarily uh, voter suppression, looking at recounts, whether we're in Georgia or Florida. Right here in Pennsylvania, some of those issues could resonate, and they could um, actually happen here. So you have political attorneys from across the state in a bipartisan fashion coming together to create an association in honor of Greg Harvey, the well-known electoral, or I should say election attorney from the Philadelphia area. These guys are going to get together. This will be announced this week. Find out more about it from Kevin Greenberg and Larry Tedis. Thank you, Nia. Sam? In 1790, George Washington wrote a letter to the Jewish community of Rhode Island in which he asserted that this government would give to bigotry no sanction. And this past Monday, I produced uh, an, a, a cantata that was composed by a New York uh, a writer, of, a musician of orchestra and voices who sang the story of this letter. And it seems really timely to me, particularly after the synagogue shooting of Tree of Life in Pittsburgh. 
and the proliferation of bigotry in our country that we would remind ourselves of what President Washington told us 250 years ago. Yeah. Thanks for all of your opinions. Hey, real quick, who thinks Mark Cuban's going to be the 2020 nominee of the Democratic Party? I'm for him. Yeah? No way. We'll see. No, no way. way, he says. No way. That's Inside no, Story no. for this week. We'll see you next week. I'll see you Monday morning on Action News. 4 a.m. is our start. Bye-bye.